0: If you were here last week and heard Gary's talk last week, (coughs) excuse me, he's talking about Jesus when he was crucified and came back to life, and after that he's on the road to Emmaus, and he meets a couple of people and chats to them about what the Bible says about him, about Jesus. But the thing to remember is that the Bible that Jesus even read was just our Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. So when Jesus says, this is what the Scriptures say about me. He's talking about the Old Testament. Because Jesus was there in the Old Testament. So today we're going to look at a passage where he shows up physically as part of the action. Yeah, There's times in the Old Testament where we see prophecy about Jesus. And there's other times where we see events or people that give us a handle on Christ so that when we meet him in the New Testament we have a way into understanding him. And there's, those are different ways that Jesus is in the Old Testament. But today we're going to look at a story, a history of something that actually happened, and Jesus is in it. So we're looking at Daniel. It's chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through to 28. Uh, if you've got the Bibles on the tables, I think it's 615. At that. And we've got some people who are going to come up and read it.
1: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods, nor worship the image of God you have set up. You is of rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods so or worship the image of God I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute,
2: zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then my God will be able to rescue you from my hand.
1: Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego,
0: replied
2: to him. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you
0: to know... Your Majesty,
1: that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God, gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and his attitudes toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Then the king's command was so urgent, and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet and in amazement and asked his advisors, "Where are three men
2: that we tied up and threw into the fire?"
1: They replied, "Certainly, your Majesty." He said.
2: Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and in harm, and the forfeits like the son
1: of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach,
2: Meshach, and Abednego, servants
1: of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a herald of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said,
2: Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who had sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives while they can serve or worship any god except their own. Brilliant,
0: <coughs> thank you. Excellent, that's a great story. So there's King Nebuchadnezzar. There's some lovely names in this passage. King Nebuchadnezzar,
2: he's a little
0: tiny bit proud. And he's had this massive statue built out of gold. It's maybe as high as York office, it's that kind of thing. And he's asked all the government, everybody who works for the council, all those people, they've got to come and bow down to it. They've got to pledge their allegiance to him, to his empire, to his gods and we've got three local government officials. They're working in Babylon. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Popularly known as your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely men. Three normal guys doing quite responsible government jobs. They're doing well for themselves. They're the kind of people who would have a vested interest in not annoying the boss. Okay, the king said jump, you jump. But no, because they're Jews, and what they're asked to do It's something that they see would dishonour their God. And so they refuse. Now the consequences of not bowing down to this silly God statue are going to be horrific, they know that. They get dragged before the king. And he gives them another chance. He says, okay, you see the furnace there. I'm going to throw you in it unless you bow down. So bow down. And they don't. They don't plead and they don't argue. And they don't even defend their beliefs. They just say no. They declare their faith, really quite respectfully, and say, so be it, we're not going to bow down. And it looks like the end for them. They have faith in their God, but at the same time, these young men are from Jerusalem. They've seen the Babylonians besiege their city. They were captured and they were carried off and taken to Babylon. They have certainly seen friends and family killed. They've grown up from teenagers as aliens in a hostile nation and they know they are facing death here. It's not death down the line after a lot of appeals. It's a furnace right there they can see. And they know it could happen, but they don't bow. So they get tied up and thrown in this fire that is so hot it kills the soldiers who throw them in. And something amazing happens in the furnace. It doesn't hurt. They aren't burned. Their clothes aren't scorched. Their hair is singed. God rescues them. And more than that, there's somebody else in the fire with them. There's another man. There's a fourth man in there. never together, looks at him and says, that's the son of the gods. Okay, this is a pagan who believes in a whole pile of gods. He doesn't know any better than that. But he looks at the fourth man in the fire and recognises something divine about him. I'd like to know what really went on the fire. I'd like to know what Shadrach and his friends were talking about in there. What was going on in there? What did they think was happening? But the Bible account reads really quickly. It's over in minutes, and Nebuchadnezzar is calling them out again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are stepping over the bodies of those dead soldiers, coming out of the furnace unharmed. They don't even smell the smoke, and then Nebuchadnezzar is praising God which is just as amazing as the rest of the story. So, we're going to take Gareth's advice from last week, and remember that actually this story is all about Jesus. He hasn't been mentioned, but he's there. We're going to do a table talk just for a couple of minutes. What I want you to discuss is where is Jesus in this story, and what's he doing? Now, you can go as deep or as shallow as you like, with this, you can go for complicated theology, or just really obvious, or you can just have a chat, I don't mind. But where is Jesus, and what's he doing?
2: Okay. I can't do out there for those of you like that kind of
0: thing. God, walking around in the flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's with them, they're in a impossibly difficult place, and he's right there with them, being alongside them. And we're not really told much of to what they say or do, because that's not actually important. What's important is that Jesus is there, so I think the first thing he's doing is being there. The next thing he's doing is rescuing them. He frees them, they're tied up when they're thrown in, and then they walk out freely. Jesus set them free. Does that sound familiar? The third one is Jesus is showing his glory. His actions made never to Praise God and acknowledge him, and God gets the glory from it. So you'll have thought about the stuff, but those are the three that I'm going to look at today. The first one: Jesus is with us. He's there in the furnace. Okay, 600 years before he's going to get born in a stable. And there he is. God didn't create the world and then set it ticking into a runner. He didn't abandon us here on earth. He didn't even abandon us until the New Testament. He was there with humankind all along. And usually where the action was. He was there at creation and in the Garden of Eden. He was there in the night with Jacob and in the desert with Moses. He was in the fire with Shadrach and co and he will be with you every time you go through the fire too. Because we know that our God doesn't shy away from trouble and tears and heartbreak and pain. We know that the God who we worship has the humility and the courage to become a weak and frail vulnerable human being. To live life the way we do it. He started with pain and mess and helplessness as a baby and carried on through pain and mess and helplessness on the cross, and in between, even more pain and loss, humiliation, betrayal, frustration, exasperation, exhaustion, hunger, desperation, love, joy, the works. He didn't go through every single thing that we do. I get really cross when people say, oh, Jesus did everything that we do. And I think, well, he was never made redundant. He never went through a divorce. He didn't have to deal with his hormones going, hey, why are we not, did he? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, whatever we go through, Jesus went through something just as hard. He lived a human life. He is one of us. And he doesn't promise a life of ease and comfort. He promises a lot of good stuff. There's joy and holiness and forgiveness. There's abundant, everlasting life. The Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, a harvest, a free a reward in heaven and persecution and trouble. He doesn't promise a comfortable life. You will go through trouble, through the fire, in one way or another, sooner or later. I'm prophesying that right now, over your lives, there is going to be trouble, okay? Sorry, but this is not news. And when we're facing difficulties, we pray to God to get us out of it, don't we? Which is natural, and that's usually the right thing to do. We have a father who loves us, and what is getting us out of trouble? I don't want God to walk with me through the fire, actually. I don't even want him to get me out of the fire. I want him to be there making sure I don't get in it in the first place. But he doesn't always deliver on that. He's almighty. That's his prerogative. He gets to choose whether I go through the fire or not. And there are a lot of possible reasons why he lets bad things happen to us. And I've given up asking why. Because frankly for me, personally, that's the road to anxiety and despair. Wanting to know why. I have one question when I'm going through hard stuff. And that is, where is Jesus? And what is he doing in this? And the answer usually is, he's right there next to me in the flames. Every time i matter what, Right there with me. Bringing comfort and strength and support and wisdom and just the energy to carry on, and carrying on. Sometimes I find myself wondering, in a particularly whingy, childish, hungry kind of way, what good is God if He doesn't get me out of trouble? What use is it of God just to say, I am with you? But do you know how it is if you're in difficulties and a friend calls you? And all a friend can do is say, I know, I understand. I'm thinking of you, and I love you. It makes the world a difference, doesn't it, to hear a friendly voice and to know that you have someone on your side. Someone walking with you. I think in times of grief, often the best comforters are the people who just sit there with you and hold your hand. And we have a God who does that for us. You know, sometimes I am too absorbed in myself and whatever I'm going through to kind of look up and notice Jesus walking around in the flames with me. And um, when I am too far gone to make it on my own, I need help from someone else. There's a story about a little boy, and he's got a bed. Stop, give it to bed, still in his room on his own, and there's a thunderstorm. Okay, thunder and lightning, and he's scared. So he calls out, as little boys do, and he says, "Daddy, I'm scared." And dad doesn't really want to get out of his nice warm bed. So he calls back. And he yells back, son, it's all right. God is with you in your room right now. You're okay. Go to sleep. But the boy calls back. He says, daddy, I know God's right here with me right now, but I need a hug from somebody with skin on. And that's what we all need sometimes. You need help from somebody with skin on. A friend who can be Jesus with skin on to you. I have a few friends who know I'm struggling and they call me up and they say, come out for a walk, come around for a cup of tea. Or they phone up and they say, I'm babysitting, you're going out more than. Because they know if I was left to my own devices, I might just sit on the floor and cry. It's hot, it's hot in the flames and I don't like it. And I might never spot Jesus at all. So this is where God put us in the church. So do watch out for other people around you who might need you to be Jesus with skin on for them. To be Jesus in the flames for them. And usually, actually, what's needed are really specific offers of help or company. And when they say, oh, I'm fine, I don't need anything, I'm all right, don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. Don't be all British and respect their privacy, okay? Jesus was never ever tactful. He really wasn't. So do you press in if you've got friends who are hurting. Okay, back to Daniel. A little recap of the story. We've got the video. Christian's looking panicked. We have got a video. Sorry, okay, never mind. Right. We will skip that bit. If you think back in the story, the men get thrown into the blazing furnace, and at that point, they're all firmly tied up. And then, minutes later, Nebuchadnezzar's saying, they're all walking around in there, okay? The things they were tied up with have fallen off. They're walking around free, and They are no longer bound. So, our three things. Jesus is with them. He's the fourth man in the fire. And the second thing, Jesus sets them free. And Jesus sets us free. And, sorry folks, this is just too good an analogy to pass up on here. We have to go here. Jesus sets us free. He became a man and he took the sin of the whole world on his shoulders and he died on the cross and he went to hell because of that sin. And the amazing, fantastic, awesome bit is that he didn't die. He didn't suffer. So he didn't die. Of course he died. He didn't stay dead. But he defeated death. Came back to life and he wandered around and talked to those people on the road to a and he defeated death to set you and I free. Okay, to untie the things that bind us. And if we accept what he did for us and follow him, we can be free from evil, free from sin, free from old habits that tie us up in knots and free from things that paralyze us. And have a friend, a God, who walks with us through whatever we face. This is what Jesus offers us. So if you don't know Jesus as that friend, don't go away this afternoon without talking to somebody here about it. This is absolutely, totally the best special offer you're going to get all year. Talk to somebody about it. But, there is something we need to make really clear. Believing in Jesus is not actually a get-out-of-jail-free card. Get out of hell, yes. Get out of sin, yes. Get out of a selfish, unloving, unloved life, yes. But not get out of trouble, Jesus promises us that if we follow him, we will have trouble. There will be persecution and grief. Peter says, Don't be surprised for our problems. Everybody has them. The thing is, we like to think that if we follow Jesus, we've got some kind of a deal with him. Yeah, we're going to read our Bibles and pray and go to church and probably do the stuff the Bible says, and God will take care of us. Yeah, maybe we'll have a little bit of trouble now and again. Nothing really big. Redundancy, but not bankruptcy. A cold, a bit of flu, but not cancer. A car crash, but nobody dies. Bit of trouble conceiving, but babies in the end. Because I follow God and He protects me, doesn't He, from all big stuff? Isn't that how He works? But no, there is no deal. When Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are facing this terrible death in the furnace, they say, our God is able to save us. And we think, wow, what faith they have. And there is no question, they know that he can do it. But we like to gloss over the next bit. They say, our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow to your statue. Mm-hmm. But even if, that's a big if. He can save me. He can save me. But he might not and I'm going to do the right thing anyway. We follow him even if. (coughs) Bad stuff will happen, and sometimes it will be majorly terminal bad stuff. But we say, even if. God, even if you don't keep the bad stuff away, you are still our God and we worship you. Because there is no deal. I think we damage people when we encourage them to think that there is some kind of a deal like that. Because the day comes when trouble strikes. And then they think that God has abandoned them. And He hasn't. He's still there with them in the fire. One of the things that Jesus sets us free from is the need to be at the centre of everything. There is freedom in knowing that life is not perfect, and that's normal. Freedom of letting Jesus walk you through trouble rather than wasting time sitting there waiting that it's not fair. Been there, done that freedom of trusting God to lead you on. I had a particularly bad patch not so very long ago when I was thinking, trust God for what? Somebody at the front here that's talking about trusting God and I was thinking, how does that work? What am I trusting him with? I'm not trusting him to keep me or my loved ones from harm because I know that actually he doesn't always do that. I'm not trusting him to keep my loved ones alive, because i know that he doesn't always do that, either. So what, actually, am I trusting him for? Well, I trust that he loves me. I trust that he has a plan for my life. Not necessarily a pleasant, easy, comfortable plan, though. I know he's got a plan, I just might not like it. I trust that he's working for my good. But it might be the good of my character and not the good of my circumstances. I trust that he knows what he's doing. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. I really am. I trust Jesus to lead me into some amazing encounters with him. Situations that I would never have imagined or dared to dream of. Shadrach and Poe would never, ever, ever have imagined meeting the living God in an oven, would they, let's say it. I trust God to lead me where he wants me to go and to come along with me. To be there no matter how difficult or how scary it gets. Not actually to keep me safe and comfortable, but to keep you going and keep you comforted. There's a difference. I trust God to bring me through it, whatever it is. But I also say, even if he doesn't. Even if this time or the next time I come out the other side of the fire and find myself saved in heaven. Even if. Yeah, I want you to know, my friends, that he is my God and I will serve and worship him and him alone because he deserves that and he is worth it. And I trust that in the end I will stand in my flesh and see my Redeemer face to face. That is ultimately what I trust God for. Ooh, we got heavy, sorry. Last bit. Jesus is with them and he sets them free and finally Jesus gets the glory. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego thought they were going to die. They thought it was the end, but they say even if, and they followed God into the fire. And it turned out to be the place where they met the living God, in person. This is the time that they look back on for the rest of their lives. Whenever things get tough, they look back on this time. And they can have no idea, really. They got home that night and they said, what on earth was that all about? What was that for? What was God doing? And they had no idea at all that for centuries, people, God's people, would read the story of their time in the fire and see an image and an example of how God is with us in the fire of our lives. Because sometimes we follow God into something that terrifies us, but we go anyway, and God meets us there in the middle of it, in the fire, and he is glorified because of it. But we have to trust God and let Him work out how He's going to be glorified, because usually we can't see that part at all. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had a really weird experience in that fire, I think, and they come out and they find Nebuchadnezzar praising God and decreeing that no one is allowed to say anything against God, which was an amazing turnaround. God makes sure that He gets the glory. So. I'm going to wake up a bit. We've got some colouring to do. I like colouring. I have my own colouring books at home and I have my own mummy's special colouring pens that I don't share. I find if your hands are doing something, it frees your mind up a bit. So, on the tables, if you haven't already got going with the colouring, there are some colouring sheets and I have some things for you to ponder whilst you're doing it. There's the fire. If you feel that you're going through the fire in some way at a zone, Maybe you want to ask Jesus to show you how He's in it with you, what He's doing. There's a little space in the middle. If you've got this covering sheet, where you can draw yourself in. If that is what you'd like to do, or maybe you're doing okay at the moment, but you've got a friend who isn't, and you need to ask Jesus how you can be Jesus with skin for your friend. Or there's freedom somewhere in your life you need setting free, that you want to talk to Jesus about. All the glory, maybe you just need to tell God that you will follow Him, even if no matter what, and you trust Him to be glorified in it. If coloring isn't your thing, you could turn it over and write on the back of the sheet, or just think and pray. Okay, good.